0: And Father, we pray for President Trump. He has been through four years of of um, false accusations and and just a lot of antagonism and the hostility and hatred. and And I'm sure that um, these last weeks uh, have been not only tiring but very deflating and discouraging. So we just pray for him as a human, as a man who, um, must be discouraged and disappointed with the way things have turned out. So we ask Lord, first of all, for a heart of forgiveness and for rightness, uh, rightness with you and with, with those who, um, who have been against him, which is half the country. So, Lord, we just pray that uh, you might um, undergird him with strength and wisdom, your wisdom. Father, I just pray that you will help us to, to have faith, to believe, and to obey what Jesus said, that in the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And help us to remember that and to remember he told us over and over not to be afraid. And also I just lots of when when things like this happen, Christianity tends to grow like crazy and I just pray for that also. In Jesus name. Amen.
1: Amen. Stay in prayer guys. Everybody ready to get into the word? We are in chapter 12 and I gave you not only an introduction to this new section that we're in that focuses primarily on living out the Christian life and sometimes living it out. There are difficulties. The first century church faced persecution. Some of the believers actually died inside this structure for their faith because they proclaimed Christ and the government was against Christianity at that time, and I think there's some applications we can draw from understanding not only the historical perspective, but the instruction that we have in uh, the passage before us. I see the first 11 chapters divided into two parts. One deals with the provision of God's righteousness, one through eight where God has provided his own righteousness for those that would trust in him. We call that justification. So that's kind of the focus of one through eight, justification by faith, along with the principles of how to live it out. That's six through eight. Then he vindicates. We've been spending the last few months looking at the vindication of God's righteousness. What about Israel? I thought they were God's people. Why are they set aside? What is God doing with Israel And we've seen that he still has a plan for them. They are simply set aside for a temporary time frame. And then he will bring them into a saving relationship nationally at least. So that's 9 through 11. And that leads us to kind of another division that I think is based on these first two or now, how does it look like to live these principles out? What does it look like? We call that application. So we call it application of God's righteousness. That goes to the middle of chapter 15, from twelve to middle of fifteen. Just a quick overview of these chapters, one and two. This is the beginning. This is the focus. This is the priority, you might say. Uh, this is the 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 heart. Of what it means to live it out. It means to live it out in relationship to God. And if you live this one out, then all of the others, I think, just fall naturally. Our relationship to believers within the body of Christ, that's the rest of chapter 12, beginning in verse 3 to the end. And then how does it look? How does living out righteousness every day look in relationship to society? That's chapter 13. And then we have a special case, you might say, uh, well, we have this liberty in Christ now. How do we handle that? Are we free to do whatever? Are we free to to uh, exercise our freedom no matter what? And I think Paul answers that. We limit it depending on the impact it might have on others. So, 14 through the middle of chapter 15. So, in outline form, we're looking at the application. And first, how does it apply to God? How do all of these principles apply to Him? What does it look like in relationship to Him? And it's pretty simple. We just have two verses, so there's not a lot there. And we have not the first exhortations, but uh, building on exhortations that we have in chapter six. I don't know if you noticed, but First 11 chapters, there virtually are no exhortations except for four that are clustered together that we looked at in chapter 6. Paul can't wait to chapter 12 to apply some of the principles that he looks at in chapter 6, and I'll review them as we get into the passage today, and we'll go back to chapter 6. So, what does it look like? And simply put, I've divided it into three parts. Parts. Starting with presenting oneself to God, now, it uses the word body, but I don't think you can put your body on the altar of God without your mind and without your will, without your soul, without your whole person. So I think he's using the word body there in kind of a comprehensive sense. I'll review a little of that. And he doesn't command the believers to do this. He pleads with them on the basis of the grace, the mercy of God. We saw that. We focused on that last time. So this passage begins with therefore, and I took that therefore in a very, very broad sense to include all of chapters 1 through 11. I won't review all of that. I urge you, that's that pleading, He's urging the brethren, this is for believers, on the basis of mercies of God, the mercies, we reviewed some of them, and now he gives, not strictly speaking, a command, but guidance, or this is what he's pleading, this is the essence of the pleading, is the presenting of self, or oneself, you could say there, present your bodies. And we looked at lots of words in this context. We looked at urging, we looked at presenting, we looked at living, a living and holy sacrifice. In fact, I'll review some of those words in a moment here. But this is the heart of what Christianity looks like. It's a day by day, moment by moment, nanosecond by nanosecond, presenting our whole beings to the Lord, making ourselves available is the idea here. In other words, seeking what he wants rather than what we may want, attempting to live for him rather than living for ourselves. And we're gonna see in verse two when we get there that he gives us a little bit further insight into what it looks like to present your, your bodies. And the last part, so he pleads and then he encourages the presenting of self, and that should uh, result in personal worship, which is part of this presenting. Even the presenting is an act of worship. So we looked at the word that's summarized in the phrase service of worship, which the word is hard to translate. So the New American Standard kind of gives two ideas that are contained within the one Greek word that we have in the context, service of worship. And just a quick reminder of the unique, you might say, or interesting words that Paul uses here. We uh, saw the urging, parakaleo, that has a variety of usages. And we'll look at it again next week when we look at spiritual gifts, where the essence of that is is, uh, encouragement or exhortation, you might say, also. So that word has the idea of motivating, encouraging, exhorting, and it's translated urge. But it could uh, be translated, I exhort you as well, or I encourage you as well that fits within the, uh, the, uh, broader concept of para caleo. So we can't sure, it last um, time. Go ahead. Norm. Our
2: motto or what do you call it? Logo. I don't know what you call it. I forgot what you call it. Anyway, in the cavalry was, let's go. It was a French word. Allons means let's go. It's kind of that urging the men forward Yep. kind of thing. And what was that word for, uh, I wanted to say this, not that, but what was that word for uh, service,
1: the Greek word? We'll get to that. I'll get to that. I've got it on my list here. Not there yet. No problem. (laughs) I'm reviewing it. And the word to present, it's pyristomy. This word has the idea of essentially giving oneself over or yielding or... In the the Jewish Old Testament sacrificial system, we looked at that in some detail. It's to offer up or to present a sacrifice. You present it to the priest, and then he goes through his process of offering on an altar the sacrifice. That's the imagery behind what Paul is saying here. So, in fact, why don't we, uh, while we're here not only to review, but to kind of add to what we talked about last time. Turn to chapter 6, and then I'll go through the, the rest of these words. And this is just a reminder. I think what Paul is doing here is he's trying to capture some of the detail that he's already laid out. And the only commands in chapters one through eight, are contained in this passage. So if you're in chapter six, the first one, and they're all clustered together here, everything else, remember we mentioned last time, they're in the indicative mood grammatically. Statements of fact, statements of reality, statements of theology, statements of of doctrine, you could say. The first one we have in verse 11, would somebody read that one? Six. 11. I got it. Go ahead.
3: Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus.
1: Okay, the exhortation there or the imperative is consider, and it has the idea of kind of think through. It's a Remember, that was the logizomai word, which has the idea of reasoning through or coming to, in this context, coming to a conclusion. And the conclusion is based on everything that he's talked about in terms of the Christian walk in the preceding verses in chapter 11. In other words, believing and trusting in those truths, that's what the idea of consider there. In other words, Accept them as reality. You might even uh, expand the the idea. Even so, expect what is real, that you are in fact dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So he's appealing to the idea of our mentality. Now, somebody read 12 and 13 real quick.
0: Therefore, do not let sin... Reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts and do not present yourselves members, present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God.
1: Okay. Do you notice there another command in verse 12? Do not let sin reign in this case here. And what does that look look like? Verse 13, another command, do not go on presenting the same word that we have here in uh, chapter 12. It's same word, present. That's why I think chapter 12, he's just reminding us of what he's already developed in chapter six. And notice in verse 13, it's, it's stated twice. Presenting the members of your body, see the similarity there? In chapter 12, it's like presenting an offering, but in in this case, it's kind of the everyday situation. You have to face different circumstances, and in every circumstance, you have two options. You have the option of doing what the flesh wants, or you have the option of doing what God wants, and we have to be on guard. So you have presenting your members as instrument or your body as instruments of unrighteousness, That's the negative aspect. In verse two, he's going to give us the same contrast using different words, but the same idea, instruments of righteousness. And then we have the word again, pariste me, but present yourself to God. The same idea that we have in chapter 12 as instruments of righteousness. In other words, making ourselves available to those things that God would empower us to uh, be involved in. Somebody skip down to verse 16, because we have the same word again. That's why I see in chapter 12 kind of a summary of chapter 6. Chapter 12, at least verse 1. 16, who's got it? 6, Go ahead. Sharon, go ahead.
0: Do Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are a slave of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness.
1: Again, the two options, but notice again at the very beginning, the paristemi, do you not know that when you present paristemi, same thing that we have in chapter 12. So that kind of adds to what we said uh, last time in terms of this, this, the meaning and the idea of paristemi or offering ourselves up to God. And then... Also, Every- Go ahead, Steve. Hey, uh, Barb
3: was wondering. She's <clears throat> was looking, reading in Genesis, and there's the tree of life. Nothing special about that tree, but it presented a situation to choose, mm-hmm. or the tree of knowledge to choose. Um, you know, good or evil, and it was a matter of will. Yes. So. Can you tie that in? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it started yeah. a long time ago.
1: Yeah. Yeah, this whole idea of presenting is an act of the will. In other words, you have to choose that that, you know, God wants as opposed to what I want. That's why it's like a sacrifice, the next word there. So absolutely, that's, that's why I'm saying you can't do this without the will, and you can't present yourself without your your whole being. So absolutely, and it goes all the way to even before sin entered, and that was the means by which sin entered, was that choice that mankind entered into. Yeah, very good insight there, by the way, Steve. So thousia, sacrifice, this is the typical word that was used to refer to any animal sacrifice. Obviously, it's the New Testament word, the Greek word. So presenting as a sacrifice, relinquishing ownership of self, you might even summarize or expand the idea there and it's a it's not a an animal that is killed except in the sense that we are to die to the flesh, but it involves newness of life and we looked at the illusion back to six four where we have another option now to live new way and it's an ongoing living, so it's a living sacrifice it's It's not something that's done one time. It's an enduring, you might say, sacrifice of of the believer. So it's a living sacrifice. We said holy, the essence of the word is to be separated. It also has a secondary idea of purity, but you separate for the purpose of purity. And I think when we think of holiness, we think primarily of the moral characteristic or aspect of it, but at the heart of that is separation or separate. So he's going to expand what that means in verse 2, what holy means and what, what this idea of holiness is all about. And it's also acceptable. We talked about that word as well. It's something that pleases God. And the New American Standard spiritual, doesn't quite capture the whole lagikas idea. And we camped on the idea this is related to uh, lagas or logizomai, that whole word group, which involves reasoning. Some translations even translate it a reasonable sacrifice, which is just as good a translation as spiritual. But I think you need to put the two ideas together. The idea of a reasonable spiritual spiritual hey. service. Go ahead. That's um, Bill. Yes, uh,
3: it's it's reasonable because he just gave us eleven chapters of reasons.
1: Exactly, <laughs> eleven chapters of doctrine of reason. Exactly. Very good. Good insight, and all of that is spiritual. So that's not a bad translation, but you have to have a better fuller idea of what the Greek word is there, very good. And here's the word that Norman was asking about, the word service, latreia, latreia. This was a word that was used in relationship to the whole temple, the operation of all things in the temple by priests and Levites, and the whole worship setting in the temple. This is the word that is used of what priests and Levites did in the Old Testament. So it has the idea of service, but also it has the idea of worship. Does that kind of remind you, Norman, of of what we talked about?
2: I just want to connect it with the English word latrine, but I looked up the word latrine and it has no connection. No,
1: no, 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 none at all. No connection. Yeah, it's... Uh,
2: because in the caste system though, n- the latrine people are the servant, the servile people, but that was why I once made a comment I made in the past. No,
1: no, no. In fact, uh this is an elevated term. This you know, this was people that were closest in the Jewish system, the closest to God, the ones that would call others to uh to holiness. Okay, so that's the, the word service of worship, trying to combine the two concepts, the two ideas. And the main point that we made is all believers in the New Testament are priests. We, there is such a thing as a holy priesthood and the priesthood of all believers. In other words, we are all to worship and to bring service and service of worship Every believer in Christ, we all are called uh, to that position. We're called a kingdom of priests in the book of Revelation. So we're all offering service, and the main service that we offer is the availability of our entire being. That's the presenting aspect. And
3: wasn't.
1: Go was, ahead, Mary Lee.
3: Wasn't that. Uh, the, the, a, a most radical concept that, that our e, our daily work and even like the latrine workers in Christ are are offering an acceptable sacrifice to the Lord in the the in the carrying out of their daily duties and that's why Paul would uh, exhort the slaves to obey their masters and to do all things well because that was part of their worship and. It's part of our worship too, to to have him with us, to be serving him in whatever role we are in at the moment.
1: In every role, actually. In other words, every circumstance can be an act of worship dependent on whether we are doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit yielded to God and or whether we are doing it in the flesh. Right. Jim Ray, Jim. Jim.
3: Yeah, uh, it, it, uh, it seems like it. It starts with the the development of a mindset of becoming increasingly conscious of how God uh, is involved in in one's life on mm-hmm. a moment by moment basis. Right. Which means you can become sensitive to the smallest things that are going on. Yeah. In your life, with respect to how God is you know, relating to you.
1: Exactly. That's the logikos idea, the reasonableness or the the rational aspect of it. Yeah. Cognizant in your mind, moment by moment. Very good. And we kind of summarized verse one last time as submitting to God moment by moment. That's the essence of what it looks like in our relationship to God. So that brings us to verse two, the process of presenting oneself. And the only reason I use process there is to alliterate, as I tend to do here. But it's the whole idea, the working out of presenting, or what, what does it involve? How does it work itself out? So he's going to expand the presenting idea in verse 2, and there's a positive and there's a negative. He gives the negative first, uh, much like what we had in chapter 6 that we just just read, and I kind of uh, summarize what he's saying is we need to resist the pressures of the age in which we live in. And I've cho- chosen the word age there deliberately. That's the actual literal meaning of the, uh, the word that is used there. So let's look at the negative first and expand it and consider some uh, present-day ways that that appears or what it looks like. So the first, and here we have the first exhortation, by the way, the first imperative, first sentence in the imperative mood. In fact, there's two verbs, and the first verb is negated, the uh, verb to be conformed, except in this context not be conformed. So the the little phrase, do not be conformed, are two words in the Greek text. The verb itself, the idea of conforming, and then the little not in the Greek. So do be conformed is just one word in the Greek text. Do not be conformed to this. The American Standard translates it world because it's that, that idea of worldliness The idea of the thinking, the idea of conforming or fit into the mold of what the world does, and in this context, world that is separated and even antagonistic to God himself. Geneva, did you have a comment there? You have your microphone open.
0: Uh, Yeah, well, it kind of goes back to before where I was uh, trying to uh, make the comment about the ordinariness of committing everything to the Lord. It just reminded me of Brother Lawrence, a monk back in the 1500s, who was a kitchen guy, a floor cleaner. I don't remember exactly what he was, but anyway... He had um, the job of uh, washing dishes, and um, his prayer is quite popular, uh, even to today, about uh, committing all of those works
1: to the Lord. And that's worship, exactly, exactly. So the two aspects, first the negative, do not be conformed to this world, and we have a somewhat of a rare word, the idea of conforming, but it the root idea is more common in the New Testament. Uh, Suschematizo, I think that's the way you would pronounce it, to be formed or to fit into a mold or to be conformed to something. That's the whole idea. I think it's not a difficult concept to understand. Uh, basically, fitting the form or fitting the the pattern, you might say, of something else, conforming to something. That's the Greek word. And then the word for world is aeon, which in most contexts is translated age. But I think it's synonymous. They're synonyms. And in some contexts, like this one, you could translate it world in the idea of worldliness as opposed to godliness, you might say. In other words, the contrast of worldliness is godliness, and the word eon is used in that concept or that idea of worldliness. And it, takes, it can take a variety of forms. I've just kind of brainstormed and tried to come up with as many of them as I could come up with or at least think of to fill up a screen here, so I think most of you do not conform in any of these, but for the benefit of those that you take notes and those of you that minister to others, uh, kind of great temptations that all of us are subjected to, some more than others, some that are not as mature would probably fit the first one here conforming to all of the fashions, in other words, even outwardly looking like the rest of the world, that doesn't mean that we don't shave or we don't, you know, take care of our appearance, but that's not the main focus. The main focus is inward qualities rather than the outward outward appearance, but uh, especially young people are very much inclined to kind of conform to everyone around them. One that maybe is closer to home to some. Uh, focus on money and what money can buy. Uh, overemphasis. You know, we have to provide. It's not that we are not providers. We need to be providers, but sometimes that gets out of out of balance. And it's not that uh, God condemns the rich. He never does. It's not the amount. It's the attitude. In fact there can be an overemphasis of money amongst the the poorest, if that's their focus. It's the idea of whether our whole finances are yielded up and presented to God on that altar. God blesses some people with lots of resources, but their attitude is, now I have more opportunity to be able to minister to others with what God has provided. But You have the the two alternatives, the two choices. One is worldly and one is godly. Similar priority of career. We men tend to work too hard. We tend to devote too much time to a career or job. So it's a matter, and we shouldn't be lax either. We should be diligent. We're encouraged along those lines. But again, it's just the attitude. In other words, how do I view my career? Is it to advance my ministry and to be a ministry, or is it to advance myself that I might rise up in the corporation or company? Related to that, is that to gain more power, to to have more power? And there's nothing wrong with power. There's nothing wrong with position. It's the attitude, one is worldly and one is godly. Maybe God has granted some great power. Vice President Pence is a believer, and he has used, I think, his position to, to, to minister to those around him. I know that he has a ministry in the life of Trump himself. And by the way, there's evidence that Trump has trusted in Christ, not recent, but closer to the beginning of his, his term. But the point I'm making here is you can use whatever power God has given you Either for him presenting it to him, and/or for self promotion, and same with positions, etc. Uh, uh, Ray, hey Ray, Ray, a lot of comments on that one. Who was the first one? That was Jeff. Jeff. Yeah, just
3: a quick reference. Uh, power and position. That would be Cora's uh,
1: rebellion. I think that's number sixteen. Yeah, exactly. And some people in the church. Aspire and work towards power in the body of Christ. Exactly. Very good. So we saw Old Testament example. Steve.
3: Yeah. The, uh, back to that real long word for do be conformed. It, it looks like it's related to schematic. Yes. Where you, yeah. come, you, you kind of devise a plan, maybe long term or short term by the day, let's say, I'm going to set aside this time to pray or read. So it is, it's a definite plan. It's a it's a will that you plan.
1: Yeah, it's related to the English word that you said, the idea of scheming. Now that, exactly. has, a, that has a negative connotation and you can scheme, but you can also, a more positive connotation, the idea of planning, the idea that you're bringing out there exactly. Okay, so... Where are we at here? Yeah, impressive home or possessions. Uh I had to throw that one in for the women. I was camping on the men. Nice home, nice environment. Again, the home is a place positively for hospitality, and God may grant large homes to be more hospitable or for outward show and appearance. Uh, latest gadgets, cars, most people are tempted in all those areas the accumulation of possessions, investments. Young people, well, not only young people, but pleasures and indulgences were bombarded with products, advertising that appeal to uh, what God has given us. He wants us to have pleasures. And he wants us to indulge, you might even say, in those things that glorify him. But again, the flesh wants to utilize them for self-gratification. And you see this, young people, especially even today, and even Christians, adopting worldly ideas. It's common amongst young people to shack up, live together. That's worldliness, and once you fall into some of those traps, they lead to other other issues and other problems that sometimes are very limiting for young people. These are just examples. You can come up with a longer list since we're bo- at the bottom of the slide there. Uh, we'll stop with that. But uh, these uh, are areas that you can utilize in encouraging other believers along the lines of presenting their bodies as living and holy sacrifices. Ray, go ahead, Mary Lee.
3: Uh, aren't these also? These are the idols that we have in our life that, that hinder us from following God and being available to Him.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, these are the opposite in the negative. These are the opposite of presenting ourselves to him. Now, we can present all of these. In other words, present our appearance to God that we may glorify him in the way that we appear. Rather than ourselves, uh, we present our money. We present our career, our positions, our homes, our possessions, our investments, and even our pleasures to him. What is 1 Corinthians, what is it, 1031? Do all things for the glory of God, whether you eat or drink. In other words, those are things that bring us pleasure, enjoyment. They're necessities, but they can get out of hand. Anyway, the dangers of worldliness. And what we have is another, I think, heart of this passage. The other one is setting apart from from the world. And the positive, I put persistent transformation just to emphasize the ongoing aspect of it. And by the way, both of the verbs, the one be not conformed and now another word, but be transformed, they're in the present tense. And I think in this context, it has the same idea that we've been developing of that moment by moment presenting We have to moment by moment resist those temptations to conform to the age or the world. And moment by moment, we need to be transformed, transformation. Now, what does that mean? In general, it has the idea of total change from the inside out. Now, it's also a process that doesn't happen instantaneously. In other words, it's not a one-time change and poof, all of a sudden, we're we're totally different. But in fact, it's a lifelong process of transformation. The word is, you can see where we get the word metamorphosis from. It's from the Greek word that we have here. Now, it only occurs in two places in terms of the actual word itself. But uh, the concept using related words and other words, you can see in other passages as well, in fact, let's look up a couple of them. Would somebody look up Second Corinthians three eighteen? And if you could read that one to us, anyone have it handy? And somebody else look up First John three two. For the sake of time, we'll skip the Galatians passage for now. Who's got Second Corinthians? And who's got First John? Do we have two volunteers?
0: I've got Second
1: Corinthians. I got John. Okay. Who had? Or Connie, Connie, Connie. And who was who the other one? I
0: got uh, John
1: 3.2. Okay, Connie, go ahead and read 2 Corinthians
0: 3.18. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of God are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord.
1: Yeah. It's not this same identical word, but it has the same idea in the Greek text there, and certainly the same concept, being transformed, and it's ongoing. But notice as we look in that mirror of, you know, the fuzziness of our perception, as we see his glory, we are conformed to it. It's that whole idea. In fact, you could use all of those verses that speak of, Conformity to the image of Christ, conforming to his image, we become more and more Christ-like. And 1 John 3, 2, Steve, you got that one.
0: Yeah.
3: Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is.
1: Okay, so we're on the process of getting there, and we will not get there until he returns. That's glorification. That's what Paul talked about in chapter 8. And when we see him, we will be totally transformed and be like him. In the meantime, it's a process of internal change, and as we focus, renewing our minds. And there's a whole, the next word group here that we'll look at. But the idea of metamorphosis, just to illustrate it from a little seed, number one there, to a very, very different looking creature. It's the same creature, but it's in the process of transformation in different stages. We might illustrate that's what we go through. We go through infancy as believers. And that looks different to another stage where we become more and more Christ-like and then eventually a full-blown monarch. monarch That's the one I'm trying to think of. So the transformation from something that looks very, very different to eventually in full glory a monarch butterfly. That's just an illustration of transformation. We call that Metamorphosis. And that's the Greek word, or where we get the English word from the Greek word there. Now, how does that take place? We could spend an hour looking at that, the renewing of your mind. And there you go, back to the idea. It has to start with your thinking. You have to revise your thinking. If your thinking is off, then what comes out is going to be off. And you have to get your thinking. That's where... Understanding what God has revealed is so important. Understanding God's truth, understanding God's word, the renewing of your mind. We have lots of passages here. Let's take a look at a couple of them. Somebody look up Ephesians 4.17, and this might be as far as we can get today. I was hoping to get through the whole passage, but let's read a couple of passages, then I'll summarize the last part here. Somebody got Ephesians 4:17 and then we'll skip to verse 22 through 24 where this renewing of the mind there's a the Greek word for you we won't review it. Who's got it? Got it. Okay. I got
0: it.
3: Katie. Uh, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking.
1: Okay, that's that worldly, then, that's that uh, old lifestyle. And then keep reading twenty-two through twenty-four.
3: Okay, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on this the new self. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness.
1: He's talking about the same thing that he's talking about here in twelve two. The negative and the positive. Putting off where we came from, the unbelieving aspects of who we were that conformed to the world, and putting on. Now he's using a different uh, metaphor, you might say, or a different idea. The idea like putting on a, a garment, taking off the old dirty garment. And now putting on a new garment. And in the middle of those two verses, uh, New American Standard translates it, renewing your mind. It's an inward reno- renovation that starts in our, in our thinking and in our mind. Now, you can just jot down Colossians 3, but he uses the same imagery there. In fact, these passages are parallel with one another And by the way, there's other passages as well. And uh, we won't get into the proof of God's will, but let me just summarize it. And notice it's like a result statement, so that, in other words, this is the result. If this happens in your life, if you are continually resisting, conforming to the world, and continually being transformed, then uh, you're going to prove something. It's going to be evident. It's going to be authenticated. You might say what God wants, what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and even perfect. And I think that's a description of God's will. But it'll be uh, made evident, I think. It'll be proven out. It'll be observable. The way we live will be observable when people see that, process of transformation. Well, we actually did get through verse 2, but we didn't expand that last part of it, the proof of God's will. We'll save that for next week and we'll use that to introduce the next passage. Who wants to close for us today? Anyone care to close, reiterating some of the things that we've already not only talked about in the study but at the very beginning as well. Norman, do you have your mic open?
2: I do have my mind open, dear Heavenly Father God. We love you. We thank you for this wonderful Bible teaching and concepts. That uh, it's awfully early here in California, and I wish I could have been more attentive than I was. <laughs> but we thank you that all these wonderful concepts are now swimming around in our brains will be elaborated <laughs> on next week. And we just thank you, Heavenly Father. Anyone who is. Uh, Out of fellowship from the uh, controversy at the beginning, we just ask that nobody bring up controversial topics in the beginning time next week so that, uh, you know, People think they're facts, but maybe they're not facts, or at least other people don't think they're facts, and that makes it a controversy. So we just thank you, oh God, in the holy name of Jesus, for this wonderful class, for this wonderful idea that we're getting formed. We're going from glory to glory, from grace to grace, and that uh, we don't do it by being conformed to the uh, things that we hear on television or the things that we hear in from the unbelieving world, but we're Conformed and changed, transformed and changed, not conformed by uh, Bible teaching and by the Word of God and by the things that you've given us. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for everyone who attended today. May it be a source of spiritual growth in their lives. In the holy name of Jesus, Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. Uh, have a good week, you all. Thanks,
3: Ray. Uh, Thanks,
1: Ray. Thank you Bye. all. And see ya.
3: See you later, Ray. God bless all. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks, Ray.
0: Drive safe, Mike.
1: Thank you all.
0: God bless.
1: All righty. See you all.